Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Youth Radio Podcast, where we discuss all things related to life growing up as an Asian and Pacific Islander American. I'm your host, Jocelyn Thong, and our special guest joining us today is Rich Tu. He's an award-winning designer and an artist that currently works as the group creative director at Jones Knowles Ritchie. You can also listen to him on his amazing podcast, First Generation Burden, where he focuses on intersectionality and diversity within the creative industry. Hello, Rich, and welcome to the show. How are you today, man? Good. Thanks for having me, Jocelyn. I appreciate it. Um, this is super fun and also a great way to end the week. I don't know when this comes out, but this is a Friday in my world right now. So this is a great <laughs> finale. A great a great way to start the weekend and a great way to end the weekday, pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I remember reading on your website that it says you're located in brooklyn new york i've been to new york once when i went with my sister on a college tour because she was actually planning to go to nyu and uh new york is beautiful man i really love new york i fortunately was never able to actually check out brooklyn can you tell us how life was like for you growing up in brooklyn as a first generation filipino american and and have those experiences formed you into the artist you are today Sure. Well, I have to clarify that a little bit. I live in Brooklyn. I've lived here for a little over 10 years now with a couple of pit stops along the way. I grew up in New Jersey, though. So I don't know if you grew up or if you've been to New Jersey. All good, dude. I grew up in New Jersey uh, in South Orange, um, the child of, of immigrants. My parents immigrated here from the Philippines in the 60s. And they had, you know, uh, some some really fine offspring, in my opinion, me being one of them. And uh, growing up in New Jersey, it was it was pretty uh, what you would think oh, be fairly typical of a suburban upbringing, suburban slash metropolitan upbringing around a lot of interesting groups of humanity. And um, yeah, like in my world, it was a lot of Filipino culture. Um, I did not go to a school that that was uh, that had a focus on that in any way. I went to a private school or really a Catholic school in East Orange, New Jersey. I kind of want to like put set the space here. So um, in East Orange, New Jersey, it wasn't. Um, I didn't have any friends that were Asian. Really, didn't have any friends that were actually white even. Um, it was primarily an African-American school, um, African-American neighborhood. And um, I had a, I have a Filipino family and I grew up in, <laughs> in a suburb that was completely different from any of those circumstances. It was kind of an interesting mix of, of influences, you know, diversity as well as, um, you know, a lot of different energy from a lot of different spaces. So, and I loved every second of it. Now I live here in Brooklyn. Um, um, and it's it, it's really great to be around what I think is a, a great swath of humanity. Oh, all right. Uh, um, actually, that does bring up a point. Uh, I noticed that your last name is Two, but I don't know if this makes me sound ignorant as heck, but Two doesn't sound like a Filipino last name. Or am I just like like completely unaware of that it is? Or <laughs> No, not at all. And it's... Uh, the name itself is, it's a name that I gave myself. I kind of shortened my name from Tumang uh, to Tu mm. okay, uh, about that... 15 years ago. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, it was a, a decision I made when I was really breaking into the creative industry. It was, my, it became my first byline in the New York times. 
um, where I wanted to have a, a name that was short, memorable, uh, but also kind of acknowledge my culture and, you know, also, you know, help, help me to not forget who I want, who I was and also I wanted to be. And it kind of resonated. So a lot of people just started calling me rich too. And also in, in high school, like it was like, instead of too long, people will call me too. It was like just a short shorthand anyway. So it made a lot of sense and it stuck with <laughs> me to this day. Yeah, you know, honestly, it does ring pretty well together, man. Not saying that your full name doesn't already sound nice as it is, but like Rich too. There's like a there's a nice ring to it, man. You know, I appreciate and, and that. I think it's kind of thank, thank God. <laughs> no problem. Hey, you made the right choice there, man. Uh, it, it it's funny how it just started off as something of a nickname in high school, then you just kind of just started running with it your whole life, pretty much. Exactly. Uh, I, I do apologize. Earlier, I I I guess I did make the mistake of thinking that you grew up in Brooklyn, but can I at least ask like why you chose Brooklyn as your uh, place to be for an artist? Yeah, for sure. I always loved New York. Um, I was, I was going to New York from New Jersey and anyone that's grew up in, in Jersey, especially in a commuter town or commuters neighborhood, you would probably go to Manhattan at a certain point in your life. And yeah. then the run for us would be taking the train or taking the bus to Manhattan starting at like 13 years old, 14 years old, and then going to Grace Papaya walking down um, to Broadway, checking out sneaker shops and just doing a full like run of all of our activities over the course of a Saturday, Sunday um, afternoon. And I just, I just love the energy. It felt like very much a hub to be. Um, and then I, I wanted to pursue my creative career um, and go to get my master's degree at the School of Visual Arts. So that, that meant that I had to go to Manhattan to actually, you know, seek education. And then then Brooklyn was a logical extension from there, just from a community perspective and also from like an artistic, you know, uh, oeuvre. Oh, that's true. It, your statement just blew my mind because I realized that a lot of people close to New York, just it's a simple train ride up to New York. Like how long is that ride? It's like, what, two, three hours or something? Or am I just wildly misjudging that? Oh, yeah. Wildly misjudging it. <laughs> from from South Orange to Penn Station in new york manhattan by 33rd and 7th that is about 35 minutes on a good day door to door 35 minutes yeah oh, 35 minutes it's actually i thought harder from brooklyn to new jersey that oh my takes God. a while <laughs> wow I, I was really grossly exaggerating it takes like because i don't live in la but i live pretty close to la it takes me that same amount of time where i live just to get to la and that's within the same state but you're going you're crossing state lines until I was like, yeah, that just phew, still blows my mind. Sorry, Bridge I don't tunnel. mean to. <laughs> I don't. I just, you know, just that whole East Coast area is just like a mind wonder to me. Um, before I get too distracted, I do want to ask: as an artist and a designer, I've noticed that you've collaborated with a number of popular brands such as Nike, Adidas, Coca Cola, and I'm even that Broadway hit Hamilton. Like, wow! First of all. Uh, but between all of them, which project did you get to work on that you felt challenged by the most creatively? Ooh, let's see. I would say challenge is a hard one to answer, but what resonated the most in terms of what I got out of it, probably Nike, because Nike, I, I worked at Nike. So I was living in, in Portland, Oregon, but working in Beaverton on Nike campus, and that was, it changed my entire approach 
towards uh, towards design, creativity, just seeing the way that an elite uh, product creation team does their thing that they're really good at, but also, you know, being embedded within it as a as a graphic designer within footwear. It blew my mind. I was there for two years. You get to see like the type of track that they operate on. You get to see innovation. You get to see um, like, you know, um, like product brief two years in advance. You also get to see quick strikes and that type of output across a breadth of, of product for so many different audiences. And, um, and you know, that, that really gave me a new point of view on what it takes to do things at a certain level. Um, I would say the Hamilton one was that was like just you know that was kind of one of those things that was it was for me it felt like it was very geared towards <laughs> towards like my 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 loves and also my passion points and also a lot of the things that like i am i care about from a social justice space and mm. entertainment um and and yeah that that's that's all will always be like a really fun one for me yeah i i was really surprised with the hamilton one because I understand like Nike and Adidas, you know, creating like artistic designs maybe, but for Hamilton, what it, I, I hate to keep staying on that point, but I'm, I love Hamilton, the musical. I have to ask like, what artistic thing did you actually specifically do with Hamilton? Like, did you help design the poster or something or? Oh yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, Hamilton, well, I guess in his first two years of life and I've worked in Broadway too, like I spent some time doing um art direction at a broadway specific agency called aka that that's done a lot of like really cool stuff like in the theater space specifically so um years later smash cut two uh, a few years later one of my really good friends anthony sherry um who at the time was the design director at momentum an an ad agency that does uh, a lot of experiential work they were partnering with american express and hamilton um to on a on an activation this is such businessy language here but they were working on an activation right across the theater like the, uh, the richard rogers theater here in in um new york over but in broadway so across from that is a place called was a place called uh paramount theater that's now called sony hall just an event space they do shows there and stuff so they were going to do like a huge event um with american express with hamilton and they wanted to take the hamilton lyrics and then have them adorn and dress the entire interior of the space for all these, um, you know, um, creators, um, also Broadway um, stars, essentially, and um, you know, people, and also consumers. Again, language like yeah. you know, like advertising <laughs> yeah. language, business, so, business lingo, biz, bizling, biz and <laughs> yeah. And I got to uh, use my my typographic style, essentially, you know, my my handwriting, my my personal lettering, and and um, create and add visuals to to all the amazing lyrics from the show Hamilton. Um, to um, you know, uh, um, from forgetting the the creator's words or forgetting the creator's name. Damn, what a time! Lin to Manuel. Lin Manuel. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> I got I got to uh, illustrate Lin Manuel Miranda's words for in the space did you actually get to meet him because you said you worked uh the first two years when it first came out or first two years of like your career oh no no i don't know i've never met lynn manuel miranda i just i was through it was just through the agency (laughs) 
Wish okay, would love right. to. I know. I think everybody wishes they could have met Lin Manuel Miranda at one point in their own lives. Um, yeah, no, I I agree, and like I think it's, I think it's so cool that you got to work on a project that he himself made very uh, a big move towards having a lot of diverse people within the cast itself. And I understand that diversity is a very big important topic for you. Uh, I know on your podcast, First Generation Burden, you speak with a variety of artists and creative people that come from a wide spectrum of ethnic backgrounds about many different things, and that the goal has always been about the importance of diversity within the creative industry. Why is this topic something you feel so strongly about? That's a great question. For me, the podcast really started back in 2016, and it was kind of a response to the Trump presidency actually so yeah it that's when like all of the all of the toxic terrible rhetoric around around immigrants and also you know taking a term that has pride associated with it and a term that you know i'm very proud of my parents are proud of my family's proud of uh, that then it became twisted into something ugly and uh, that was yeah right during the time of trump and uh versus hillary like in the summer of 2016 mm-hmm. so i knew i wanted to um and also therapeutic a bit you know just kind of like get my own feelings out in a therapeutic way on the microphone in a way that's comfortable um and all my friends a lot of my friends are from a lot of different backgrounds of um all, a lot of different spectrums um, and also, they happen to be a lot of first-generation immigrants in the creative space. So uh, the content made a lot of sense to me. So the first two episodes were uh, with my really, really good friends, like my brothers, Ahmed Klink, Juan Carlos Pagan. Um, and we recorded those in hotel rooms and office rooms. Like, the sa- audio sounds terrible. <laughs> um, and and But it was really through the lens of how could we share our personal stories and also talk about immigrant excellence. So then that became kind of the the crux of what the the concept of the podcast was. Then it just, you know, it grew and then, you know, just wanted to talk to more people, essentially share stories. And also, you know, for me, selfishly, I like the idea of learning from really smart people. <laughs> so, I, you know, getting people on the microphones and hearing them talk about their their experiences and also their their challenges and their wins, um, but also having that shared connectivity of, hey, we or our parents or someone in our in within our genealogical history left home and came here and had that experience and there was the experience of a generational leap so all the stuff that comes with that type of thought process and how that you know informs your current life and also your future those are all the things that um that became the the long lasting touch points that that the show's on and some really good recent episodes too even even now that we're recording virtually yeah <laughs> i mean yeah, I do agree. Honestly, after that whole fiasco, let, let, let's fiasco is putting it lightly in 2016 of an election. It did definitely feel that a lot of people that came from backgrounds of having families and generations of uh, ancestors that faced these kind of issues, especially with immigrant parents, it felt it felt very isolating during that time period. So right. I do agree, man. Like you're. Your whole podcast idea, it, it speaks volumes to me. The the idea that there are diverse people and that it's just important for us to have our, our voices heard. You know, man? Right. I is and especially in the 
in the creative industry specifically too, man. I mean, there's not a lot of us yeah. or not a lot of us being broadcasted to the world, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think there's, I will have two thoughts. Yeah. I think one, there's not, uh, it's, it's not enough. Right. So I think it it's a part on, um, a part of us to, to show up with, with the desire to show up. Right. Yeah. Also, I think it's about change in the industry. Um, and like, you know, having that, that constant internal struggle for representation. I also think it's about uh, vocalizing pride, you know, within within your comfort. So being being proud of who you are in your spaces, being able to show up as your true self. So all this stuff comes into play. Like I, I've realized now, especially in the past couple of years, with all the change and all the craziness of the past couple of years, that more people like thankfully are willing to really broadcast themselves out there yeah. in a brand new way. And, and, you know, put it on the creative industry because the creative industry, um, through its outputs, through media, through, you know, through film, through commercials, through advertising, through product, through XYZ, it's a reflection of society. So if you can't properly reflect society, reflect upon society, how can you um, exist within society or feel seen within society? And that that's that's something that is an ever, ever constant struggle. Yeah. Dude, you just tickled my brain right now. Oh my god. I I feel that, man. Uh but you know what? We can't just not also address that there has been a lot of actually great representation over the past 5 years at least as well, you know, for like people of diverse backgrounds, you know. Especially uh I'm a screenwriter, so I do love to reference uh popular media like movies and television shows. Like you had you had movies like Black Panther, uh, you had movies like yep. Shang-Chi. Of course. You know? Of and, course. And wasn't it currently that there was a Korean show on Netflix? This is like, I mean, like almost a year ago, but. Oh, Kim's Convenience? Kim's Convenience. No. That, well, I mean, I like Kim's Convenience, but I was actually talking about Squid Game. I talked about Squid Game a oh. lot on this podcast. <laughs> uh, yes. Frighten, frighteningly so that I talk about it. I'm just getting psyched when we were finally seeing such praise for this diverse uh media that keeps showing up nowadays you know and i think it's because of people that were right. thinking like us you know that see the importance of having these diverse people being able to shine in the creative industry because when they do you get great stuff like you know squid game shang chi right have you seen the silent sea on Netflix? the silent sea another, i haven't yeah korean sci-fi mystery thriller show i haven't but that's because my it, it has business slap guy business slap from guy. uh squid game <laughs> business slap. yeah uh, i i refer to him lovingly as trained abuse on guy that's me he <laughs> uh, he's there you he go stole yeah, yeah, my yeah, heart that's a in that performance reference. personally the slap guy was just gotcha. maybe more giggle and laugh but you know i that's more of a fun thing <laughs> Oh man. There's an amazing vulture article. I know this is a diversion. There's a really <laughs> amazing vulture article that uh of a, a young uh female writer specifically calling out like her attraction to that actor, but it's like the the raciest article ever, <laughs> but it's so funny to me because you never hear about Asian or it's a new thing within Western media for Asian men to be sexualized. Oh my god! I you know yeah. so to see the article, I was like, "Yo, this is wild!" Oh, one, it was funny. It was just written really well, really funny, super engaging. All the stuff you like good reading to be, right? But also, it just had a new lens. I was like, I'd never really see this. I haven't seen this throughout my existence, really. 
I've, I, I, I'm a peruser of TikTok. And after Shang-Chi came out, there were a lot of thirst TikToks over Tony Lung. <laughs> Shang-Chi's dad. Simu Liu is a great looking guy. But I, I saw more people right. thirsting after his father in the movie than actual Shang-Chi. So that was funny to yeah. me too. <laughs> it's the so it's the stoicism. Yeah, it I'm is. Sure. It's it's the people with the daddy issues. I'm, yeah, I'm but also the dad that's willing to like kill everybody yeah. to get his wife oh, wife back. That's hubby material. <laughs> oh my god. Talk about generational trauma. Like some of the stuff in that movie through the lens of a Marvel film. Yeah. It's so intense. Like really, I was like, oh holy shit. Like they are covering I don't know if I can curse on here. But <laughs> they were just covering such topics through this superhero lens that I just never hear covered. Like generational True. trauma in a superhero movie? Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about generational trauma, I, I don't think you could skip over Encanto. I saw Encanto like oh. last week. And have not seen oh, it. Oh, you got to see it. You got to see it. It's, oh man. Uh, for people that have issues with their family where they feel as if there's always like a pressure upon you to have to keep a certain image or make certain people happy or you feel that there's just tension with the family and Kanto is like a great film that encapsulates all of that and addresses that issue but oh dude i'm gonna have to check you it have out. to check it out it i i i can say i never really cry but that movie like brought a tear out of my eye so that <laughs> that would spoke to me a lot but I feel we are getting off topic. I do have to say there's something I, a statement I have to make. And I want to know if you feel the same way. I'm a firm believer that having a creative outlet is not only a great way of self-expression, but I also think that it's a way of exploring within yourself and being able to form your own identity with what you find. And it could even be a, a way of getting in touch with your own culture. I have to know if, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. I think the struggle for a lot of creatives, especially early stage creatives, which is also another passion point of mine, making opportunities for early stage creatives who are also, you know, BIPOC as well as um, LGBTQ plus and, um, and from communities that has, have historically been underserved. That's kind of the underlying thing for me is like, how do I help underserved communities, right? Um, it's become a bit of a life ethos. I think yeah. that the, the struggle is alignment with who you want to be. And I think as a creative, your creative is the output. So your creative is directly aligned with your identity. So so whenever there's, when those things are misaligned, you just don't, you feel that something it has to evolve, change, shift. You just know that it's not quite there. Um, so yeah, and, and also I truly believe that you don't really know a creative until you hear them talk about the work and represent the work because that involves like everything about you as a person, as a human being, all your influences, regardless of whether this is informed by data or this or that and the third, all those things are informed by you because you bring that special sauce. So yeah, like it, I absolutely believe that creativity at its best is a representation of the individual or the individuals that are behind it. Yeah. Can I share a story with you Please, about I why I, I believe this? All right. Thank you for listening to me. Um, as I said, I'm a screenwriter, so I, I like to write movie ideas, you know, and this actually goes hand in hand with another guest we had on the podcast where I, we spoke about identity 
in and for people that come from uh, ethnic backgrounds and i remember uh they said that something that stuck with me about how people uh, like us that had parents that were immigrants but we were born here if anything it's hard because we live in two different worlds where our parents came from another country so they're still very much of that behavior of of those perspectives and mindsets but we also grew up in america so outside of our family and our home we still face the the world we're we're born in the world we grew up in so we still have that clash of identities you know so it's it's hard to find that mesh of perfect harmony between the two so for me it was the same way i have you know chinese parents that were born in vietnam so they both have chinese vietnamese characteristics behaviors mindsets perspectives but i grew up here in america so although at home i hear their their stories and like their behaviors but when i go to school or go to work or go with friends it's very americanized you know so it was hard for me to be able to connect to my own culture and my own identity but as a writer and especially someone that advocates for Asian American representation in media, I had to learn to dive into my own culture because I can't write for my own culture if I'm not as connected to it as I wanted to be. So I wanted to write uh, currently a movie about a Vietnamese American character with a Chinese parents, or sorry, the other way around. I don't know why I said that. A Chinese <laughs> character with uh, parents that were born from Vietnam, just like me. Yeah. And I had to ask them questions i was like oh this is an interesting twist like i like that you're throwing a challenge in front of <laughs> yeah yourself. it's so close <laughs> to who you are <laughs> very so so yeah as i was writing this script for this movie i wanted to write i had to you know look up uh, more about my culture and i had to ask my parents more about my culture itself so i could make sure that this film sticks true to it and yeah. through my creative art i was able to get more closer and develop that harmonized balance you know between where I grew up and who my identity is because of my family and my culture. Yeah. So thank you That's for great. listening to my story. <laughs> no, I, honestly, it resonates with me because I feel like so many first-gen immigrants have that experience. It's like, how do you, how do you connect to your history genealogically and historically as well as like, you know, genetically, um, culturally, but, you know, thread the needle of what the future holds. It's it's a tough balance. And I think a lot of us are learning how to, you know, turn back in order to um, reach back in order to go forward. Yeah. And that's right. an I think that's an acknowledgement of the self and acknowledgement of, you know, of your of your history and your family. I think that that's what that's what's so dope about. I think all the stories coming out now, because we are actually writing what that narrative looks like as a culture as like a zeitgeist as a moment within zeitgeist yeah that's true uh, so kudos to you can't wait to see you, it man. i'd love to talk more with you but unfortunately that's all the time we have today uh, uh part two we want, <laughs> we want to again thank our guest rich too for joining us today Jostin, thank you so much thank you man thank you for listening to me all right, guys, to learn more about Rich, please visit his website, rich2.com, and his Instagram, at rich underscore two. That's T-U, not the number two. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. 
Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our AAPI community with a voice through media arts. If you would like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Jocelyn Thong, and please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Take care until then, everyone. Thank you.